We're going to have a lot of fun together today, and uh, if we have not had the chance to meet, my name is Whitney. I am the Next Gen's director here, and I am so glad and honored to be able to share with you. I want to honor Pastor Michael and Amanda for trusting me with a microphone. That's a pretty big deal, in my opinion. Um, and I also want to take a moment and honor a family that is here today who has been with True Life from the very beginning. They have since moved um, uh, but they were here from the very beginning, and they are here with us today. And I want to give some honor over here to the Austin family. Come on, let's give some love. Thank you for your investment and your love, and it's probably so cool for you to be here to see what it's like after so many years and checking it out. They always come and visit. They do a little surprise visit here and there. So what I want you to do is turn to your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, it's about to get real up in here. It's, it is. It's going to get real because we're reading the Bible. All right. We are going to look at Genesis 2.18. We're going to start at the very beginning. And some of you, if you're, a if you're a musician, some of you thought of the song, let's start at the very beginning. We're not singing that song. We're going to Genesis 2.18, and it says this. It says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. What we're talking about today is how do we create genuine connections with each other? How do we cultivate genuine connections with each other? And the title of this message is Pursuing Connection the Ruth Way. Pursuing Connection the Ruth Way way. I'm going to share a little story with you. I pulled it from a book called, what's the name of the book? You know when you like have a moment, you don't remember the name of a book? Okay, the book is called The Power of Others by Dr. Henry Cloud. And so he's sharing the background of, of what it takes to become a U.S. Navy SEAL. Now, some of you in the room have been impacted by someone who has served our nation. Can we just take a moment and honor those who have served our country and our nation? We love you. All right, so something that you may or may not know, in order to be a U.S. Navy SEAL, it's not an easy thing. They are looking for the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the top of the top of the top. And it is not an easy thing. You don't get favors. You have to work to become a Navy SEAL. You go through a ton of training to be able to do what they do. Because what they want to know is that they have the best of the best serving our country. And, um, and there is a training that they go through, and it's called BUDS. It's BUDS training. So in the book, they talk about, Dr. Henry Cloud shares about his brother-in-law, Mark, who became a Navy SEAL. And years later, Mark actually passes away doing what he loved to do. He used his skills. He used his personality. He used his giftings to serve our country and to serve and be with his, his comrades, his teammates. And there, after the passing of Mark, Dr. Henry Cloud got the chance to meet a lot of people that were, that were impacted by Mark's life. There were a lot of people that, that, that shared stories after stories about the, the large impact that Mark had. And one of those stories was a man named Bryce. 
Bryce was a comrade of Mark's. And Bryce shares a story about how when he was, he was in Bud's training and he got to a point in the training where he couldn't go any longer. He, he, was def- he, felt, he felt like he really hit his limits and he couldn't push himself any longer. Um, but on the other side of the finish line, Mark was waiting there for his comrades to finish the training. And all of a sudden, Bryce shares this story how Mark lifts up his hand, he lifts up his fist, almost like he's communicating, you've got this, you can do this, push through, you've got it, I'm here, I'm cheering you on. And then Bryce shares that he finished and that he, he, there's something that happened in that moment where him and Mark locked eyes. It was something, something miraculous, something special that happened. And whether you want to call it, um, you know, psychologically something happened, I believe it's something greater than that. But, but what, we, what we hear in the story is that he was able to push through the limits. He was able to push himself to the finish and get to the finish. And he became a Navy SEAL. And he shares about what that experience was like. He's like, something just happened. I was able to push through. So what do you think it was? What do you, this the rhetorical question, but what do you think it was that allowed him to push through the limits and push himself? Like, what was it about that fist being raised in the air that made Bryce be able to finish? I think we all can agree that connection is important. And we learn that the value of others is something that is intangible. There's something just so powerful and intangible about a connection that, that you share with someone that just makes you go the extra mile, that helps you finish, helps you follow through. So what we're going to talk about today is making a difference, how connecting helps you make a difference. One of the things that I love that pastor, or not, he used to be a pastor. Um, his name is John Maxwell. He's a leading author. He talks all about leadership. He's a leadership guru. And he has this quote that he differentiates between being someone who, um, who is successful versus someone who is significant. Someone who is successful asks this question. John Maxwell says this. Success asks how can I add value to myself? But then significance asks, I believe this is what Mark did, asks, how can I add value to others? So connecting makes a difference. That's if you don't get anything out of today, that's the one thing I want you to get out of today is that connecting with others, having that connection, those relationships like Mark, like was shared about Mark and Bryce makes a difference. And something that maybe you've never heard this before, maybe no one's ever said this to you before, and maybe you just need a little encouragement for today. But I want you to know that your life is significant and you add value. So I'm going to say it again because maybe you need that encouragement. Maybe you felt kind of crummy this week. Um, Maybe you just don't feel like you have a lot that you can offer someone. I've definitely been there before. Um, Just last week, like just I I can feel that way. Um, And so I want you to I want you to know that your life is significant and you add value to others. So we're going to talk. We're going to talk about this statistic that is a little shocking. 
I'm going to break some, some of the words down that are in the statistic, because I don't want to assume that anyone knows uh, the words that are in the, in the statistic. Um, so, but I'm going to need your help as I walk through what these terminologies are. So you're going to hear the word Gen Z. Gen Z is if you were born 1997 to 2012. Raise your hand if that's you. Born 1997 to 2012. All right, I see you, Gen Z. Hey, everybody. No, I was going to, like, get you to chant, but you probably, I don't know if you want to chant. Gen Z, you want to chant? Okay, well, you just do it. You don't, you don't answer. Gen Z, you want to chant? Okay, that's like one of you. You guys are weak. What's going on? You didn't get your coffee. All right, I'm going to go to millennials. Maybe they'll be a little bit more. Hey. Okay, Gen Z is if you were born in 1981 to 1996. Come on, Gen, or not millennials. Let me hear you. Okay. Awesome. Okay, Gen X. If you were born 1965 to 1980, let me hear you. Okay, okay, I hear you. Okay. All right, we've got the boomers. If you were born 1955 to 1964, where you at? Okay, okay, all right. Okay, baby boomers. If you were born 1946 to 1964, where you at? Wait, where are you for real? Okay, I see you, I see you, awesome. Some of them, some of those words, you're not gonna hear me say them in the statistics, but there's three of them that you're gonna hear me say. So the Survey Center on American Life says that 38% of Gen Z and 46% of millennials say that their family had, had daily meals together compared to more than three quarters, which is 76% of baby boomers. So. This, this statistic is saying that the decline in family mealtime may come at a cost. Americans who grew up having regular family meals have been shown to have lower rates of depression, these two things, lowered rates of depression, and better relationships with their parents. So this may be the case. This may be the case in this statistic, which was rolled out in February of 2022. But I believe that we as a church are going to combat that statistic. Um, But the way that we do that is when we get to the understanding that connection matters. That connection matters. And in Acts 2, we learn about the, the kind of the, the formula, if you will, of how to have true, genuine connection. What does that actually look like? And um, if you're not familiar, if you're new to Jesus or if you're new to even coming to church, um, Acts is a book in the Bible. And, and really, the Bible as a whole is, is, is just is a love story of Jesus, his love for us. And, um, and so in the book of Acts specifically, you learn about what a church looks like, what a healthy church looks like. And, uh, and so in Acts 2.42, it says this, and you can follow along um, by writing, in, writing a jur- in your journal, or um, if you're like me, sometimes I like grab the connection card and on the back of it, I like write my notes and then I grab another connection card and I fill out my prayer request. You can do that too. Or you can follow along on the app. So the scripture says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing meals together and prayer. So teaching, growing and learning together, fellowship, spending time together, having meals together, and 
praying over each other. Those are the four things that we see in the book of Acts that show us how you have genuine, healthy connection with one another. And we're gonna hang out on the topic since we were talking about the connection between mealtime and what we've seen generationally. We're gonna talk about meals and, um, and how there is so much connection just by simply having a meal with someone, how you can, just that eye contact, um, by having eye contact with someone um, and eating some good food. Oh my gosh. Does anyone have like somebody, you, everybody, come on, everybody has somebody in your life where you're like, if they're making it, I'm coming. Yeah. Yeah, like like one year for my dad's for my dad's father day. That's what I was about to say. For my dad's father day. For my dad's day. I I called up Joel Mears and I was like, "Joel, which is the pastor that spoke last week. If you weren't here, listen to his message. It was dynamite." I called up Joel. I was like, "Hey Joel, if I bought you like a couple pounds of chicken, could you do what you do and make it? He was like, yeah. So he made, Joel Mears makes dynamite food. If you've never been to his house, join a small group. He'll cook for you. Join one of his small groups. He makes really good food. I'm just saying. Joel, if you don't want people over your house, sorry, they're coming. Um, Also, if anyone, you know, mama, dad's cooking, like it's just, it's so amazing just to have a great meal and just enjoy being able to connect with each other by having meals with each other. Some of you don't even know how to cook. You're like, oh, I'll take a Lunchable. Anybody? Hey. If you know how to make cereal. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. I promise. Just stick around. We'll teach you some things. But we see in the Bible, in Luke 19, how Jesus makes having a meal with someone a priority. So here's the story. In Luke 19, verses 1 through 8, there's this story of this man. Nobody likes him. Um, and he's a tax collector. Tax collectors weren't liked. They still aren't. <laughs> um, but so the tax, the, this, this tax collector's name is Zacchaeus. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this story out for you. Jesus walks into town. He walks into Jericho. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus sees Jesus. And he, he wants to be near Jesus. And in fact, he wants to just be able to see him. But he can't, because you know why? He's short. Anybody short in the house? Raise your hand. I'm only tall, because I'm right there with you. I'm only tall, because I got these wedges on, all right? So he was short, but he was like, that don't matter. So he ran down the road, and he was trying to get ahead of Jesus. And he climbs up this tree, a fig tree, He's probably like snacking too. Um, But he runs up the the fig tree and he's waiting for Jesus just to be able to see him. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks by. You wanna know what he does next? I'm gonna tell you anyway. Okay, so, so Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. So Zacchaeus, he comes down the tree. And, and, and what that means is, Jesus is dining with someone that is not well-respected, not someone that people would generally hang out with. In fact, people were looking and frowning upon the fact that Jesus would even associate himself with someone like that. So one great example, Jesus showing us of hanging out with people that don't have the same views, don't have the same, um, don't have the same background, but he wanted to, he wanted to surround himself with him anyway. And so, 
So when he said, I'm coming to your house today, what that means is they were gonna break bread together because that's what you did. You came over, and you might do this at your house. When you invite someone over, there's usually some food involved. So if you come to my house, so there's food involved. I might not serve you. I might just be like, hey, open the fridge. Um, but you, I'll, let you, I'll let you eat. Yeah, we'll do that. So, so, so Zacchaeus comes down, and they go, Jesus and Zacchaeus go to his house. And then... What we, what we see in scripture is Zacchaeus having a transformation in his life. Something transformative took place when they broke bread and they spent time together, when Zacchaeus and Jesus spent time together. This is what Zacchaeus says. He says, Lord, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. So we see that something just miraculous happens inside of Zacchaeus, and it's something that happens that's for the better, because Zacchaeus is seeing how he's treated people, and Jesus is never the type of person, we never see it in scripture. There's multiple handfuls of time where we see Jesus get angry, but it's a righteous anger. But Jesus is the type of person that, that, comes, to, that comes to people we see in scripture and is saying, hey, go this way. He's just so gentle and kind. And so I imagine that's what happened because that's the type of person we see in scripture about Jesus. And so something happens where Zacchaeus is changed for the better simply by having connection and having a meal together. So we see that, we see that connecting with others in this scripture, we see that connecting with others adds value to their life. But don't be remiss. I mean, I would be remiss to say if, if I didn't say this, you actually, you actually get something out of it too, and you're not even trying to. So you are adding value to their life by connecting, by breaking bread and having a meal, but their life is, all, but your life is also being impacted. So connecting makes a difference. If you don't get anything out of our time together, connecting makes a difference. So here's the question that I know you all are asking, the big question. How do we create deeper connections that help us make a difference? How do we create deeper connections that help us make a difference? Thank you guys for asking that question. I'm so glad that you did, because it really helps, because we're gonna answer it today. In Ruth chapter one, we are going to understand how we have deeper connections with others so that we can make a difference. And if you're, familiar, if you're not familiar with Ruth, um, some, some people that read it all automatically think of, oh, we're talking about Boaz and Ruth. Like that's what we're doing today. Um, and that simply is a love story, a beautiful love story that we see in the book of Ruth. Um, you may have not known this, but there's some rom-com in your Bible just saying, if you didn't know that. So um, rom-com, if you don't know what that means, is romantic comedy, okay? Okay. Um, but what we're gonna do is we're, I'm gonna show you a different aspect of the book of Ruth. And I, I, I know that there's an aspect of it that could make you emotional, so I wanna give you a heads up just in, in case. Um, it might not, but I do believe that this will add value to your life by understanding the book of Ruth in this way, by seeing some connections that are being made within, within the scripture we're gonna read. So you can follow along on your app or just hear me as I read aloud. 
It says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Eph... Hold on. There's some words in the Bible that are hard, y'all. Ephrathites. That's what they were. From Bethlehem. In the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. But then Elimelech died, and Naomi left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So right here, what we're seeing is these three women, these three ordinary women in an extraordinary heartbreak. They've not only lost, Naomi not only lost her husband, but now Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth have lost Naomi's sons. So this is just ordinary people in the, in the Bible that have lost something, and it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. And so we can all relate, because at one point or another, we've lost something in our lives. And so we see how these women respond with their loss. We're gonna continue on. It says, in, in verse six, it says, then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's home and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and then they all broke down and wept. But then listen to this. This is what they said. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. So if you're not familiar with the history of of this story and just in general about how relationships functioned. Um, back in the day, women were not able to survive on their own without a man in the picture. And so not only does Naomi not have her husband to help provide, but now her sons, who Naomi's sons have now passed. And so the women are in a position where they're not being taken care of. But we see that in the extraordinary, extraordinary heartbreak that both Ruth and Orpah don't want to leave. They don't want to leave. We also see that they're not afraid. They're not afraid of the fact that they might not have a chance to be married again. They might not have a chance to bear children, but they're not afraid. But instead, they stick through it with Naomi in her pain and in their pain. And so how do we create deeper connections that make a difference? And the first one is this, it's connecting to pain. That's, what's that's what makes a difference. And it's not glamorous, it's not pretty. In fact, it's really messy and it's not fun at all. But that's that, when we connect 
to someone, when we allow someone to connect with us while we're in our pain, that's what makes a difference. And so that's how we grow closer connections um, with those that are in our church and outside of our church, the people that are at our workplaces, that are in our schools, um, that are in our classrooms. That's how we connect um, with people is by connecting with them in their pain. So that's the first step to, con- to, to creating deeper connections um, that will make a difference is by connecting to them within their pain. So This means for you personally that you need to have a safe place where you're dissecting your pain too. And that can look differently. If you're not, if you're new to true life or if you've been coming around just for a little bit, um, here where we have that place is in small groups. And so we create a safe place for you to talk through your pain um, or just come alongside of other people and to be there for them. Um, And I would love for you to learn more. Um, I would love for you to get around some people that can give you more information about our small groups. So that would be out in the info desk before you leave to check that out. So in small groups is where you can make those connections. Now I want you to look to your left and I want you to look to your right and I want you to notice something. You are in a row. You are in a row. Each of you are in a row. And rows are very important. Us meeting corporately is very biblical. Us meeting corporately and having someone teach to us is, is biblical. But I'll tell you what, this is, this is something that's even better for you, is when you get into circles. So rows are extremely important, but circles are better. So anytime you can get yourself into a circle, you're setting yourself up to be successful and to be healthy. We read in Proverbs 18, 24, it says that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I could list off so many friendships that I've seen blossom here at True Life. I think of people like Noah Willis and Hunter Angle, just beautiful, beautiful young men that just absolutely care for each other and they're great friends and they just look out for each other. Um, I think of Onar Cisco and Kristen Brownlee, two people that met here at the church. They do vacation together with their, you know, with their families and and it's just so cool to see that that there that even though you may come from a family where your relationships aren't strong that you can find strength in a church family you can find strength and you can find friendships that stick closer to you than a brother um, which is so awesome um, I love seeing friendships like Kevin and Carlos Kevin Twitchell and Carlos Serrano who serve here on the worship team uh, their friendship is so cool to watch um, and then Mackenzie Bacchus and Kaylin Lake, who's sitting right there. Um, and it, it's just so beautiful to see, like, Kaylin and Mackenzie just spent all day together yesterday. And it's so cool to see friendships blossom and their lives are being changed for the better because they're connecting and they're creating a, a small circle for themselves. So we're going to ask this question two more times. I, said, I sounded like I was from Boston when I said that. Ask. Did you know, I don't know if anyone noticed that. Nobody probably noticed it. I shouldn't have said anything. Okay. This, the, second, the second way that we can build closer relationships, that we can create deeper connections to make a difference, is it, this is super practical. We do this so well here at True Life, and it's taking practical care of felt needs taking care of practical felt needs. So if you see someone hungry, you feed them. You know someone who's lonely, you ask them, hey, come over or I'll come over. Or maybe you see someone that is really struggling and it's you putting your arm around them or calling them and saying, hey, I know that you're in a dark place right now. How can I help you? What can I, what can I do? Is there anything that we can do? 
So that's, those are just small examples of how we look for ways to care for felt needs. We read in Ruth 1, 11 to 13, it says, but Naomi replied, why should, I, why should you go on with me? Can I birth you, can I still birth two other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself raised his fist against me. So we're not gonna go into that part of her being bitter, but I am gonna hit it just for a second. But we see that Naomi is being very vulnerable and very real, and she's sharing what her thoughts are towards the Lord. And, and within that, she is still choosing to care for and connect with others while she's in the midst of that pain, while she's in the midst of feeling that way towards the Lord. And it may seem like Ruth is pushing them away, um, but in actuality, she's trying to be practical and taking care of a felt need. What, what Naomi is doing is saying, hey, I see that you're suffering, and this is the best that I have to offer, to release you, to allow you to go build a family for yourself, to, to be able to have a prosperous life, even if that means that I'm gonna suffer, Naomi, even that means that, that she's gonna suffer because she doesn't have them around to help her and take care of her. So she, what she's doing is, is she's trying, she was trying to take care of a felt need. And, um, and I'd be remiss to say, if, if I didn't mention this, that, that sometimes taking care of a felt need is praying with someone, um, lifting them up to the Lord and praying together. But oftentimes, it's just trying to satisfy a need. Like some, something came up the other week, um, Dan and Caitlin and I were talking, and they're like, oh, we're just going to take a meal to these people. And they're just trying to find ways to take care of a felt need to show, I love you. I care. It's very practical when they know that somebody's going through something. So here's the last, here's the last thing that I want to give you for all of us as we're growing and we're trying to learn how do we, how do we do, how do we do this thing called life and creating connections and making a difference? How do we do that? This is the last one. And it's not an easy one. It's, perse- it's persevering for the long haul. Persevering for the long haul. So connecting with someone isn't a one and done thing. It's not a checklist item. And it doesn't always make sense because it means that you have to be vulnerable. It means that you have to keep yourself open and, and be there for the long haul. We see in Ruth 1, 15 to 17, it says, Naomi, so at this point, um, Ruth or Orpah had gone along and, and, went, and went back to her family, but, but Ruth decided to remain. And this is, what, this is what happened. She said, look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. I love this part says, wherever, so powerful, so powerful. She says, wherever you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. 
May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. She said nothing more. So Naomi was the one that set the tone. She gave this option of this heartfelt, and she was trying to meet a heartfelt need. And she was letting, letting them decide to go back and actually really encouraging them to. And Ruth decided she didn't want to do that. She decided that she wanted to remain for the long haul with Naomi. She wanted to remain with Naomi for the long haul. And remaining with someone for the long haul means that you're saying things internally like, I'm gonna be with you in your suffering. I'm gonna be with you when it's hard. I'm gonna remain here when things hit the fan. I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna be there for you. It's not an easy thing, but it's the most powerful thing. And we see that Ruth is willing to, to drop it all. She's willing to leave it all and to be there for Naomi. And the reason why she was able to do that is because Naomi set the tone. And so Ruth was able to say, I'm gonna remain in this steadfast love towards you. Likely because Naomi was the one that set the tone. So this is something I want you to promise yourself. You don't need to do it for me. You don't need to do it for anyone that's sitting near you or anything like that. In fact, you don't need to do it, but it's something that would be good for you to do. And I know you want good things for your life. It's this, when things get tough, I'm gonna choose connecting. When things get tough, I'm gonna choose connecting. So that means when life doesn't look the way that you want it to when family is looking the way that you don't want it to, when your finances aren't looking the way that you want it to, when your parents are fighting, when you have so many things that are stacked up against you, when your emotions are all over the place, you're gonna choose connection because in that connection is when differences can change. Connecting makes a difference. Connecting makes a difference. So True Life, as we develop our connections here and outside of these four walls, we get the chance to speak into the lives of those who have believed lies or have experienced pain, and we get to meet them within that. We get to connect with them, and we get to be there and love them with a steadfast love. So True Life, the next time that you read the book of Ruth, I hope that you look at it with a new view, that you see that there is so much connection, the connections that are making a difference, that create a deeper difference. So the three things to take away from today is connecting to pain makes a difference, taking practical care of felt needs, and the last one is persevering for the long haul. So right where you are in your everyday life, you can be a connector. You can be someone that cares for those that are around you, and you can build connection. 
So what does that look like? That means that when you walk out of these doors, that you pause for a moment, you try to connect with the people that are here, or before you leave work, try and connect with the people that are in your job, or before you rush onto your bus, or you try to rush from one thing to the next, slowing down because people are important and connecting makes a difference. I'll close with this. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that he shows me an everlasting love. And he shows me how much he cares and how much he loves me. And then I'm able to love myself and care for myself because he says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that, that you and I are his masterpiece in Ephesians 2.10. He says that you are wonderfully made, that you are good, that you are beautiful, that you are handsome, and that you are, that you are exactly what he wanted. He has chosen you. He says that. We're chosen people. So we're able to love ourselves out of that overflow of that love that he gives us. And then we're able to love others with an everlasting love. See, if we love just out of our own, we can do that, but it only lasts so long. But if we love from him, if we, if we operate in how he loves us and taking on and living out how he loves us, we're able to love that much greater. I don't know about you, but I like to be efficient with my time. And so if I'm able to be way more efficient and love better and Jesus helps me do that, I would wanna, I would wanna do that. So if you're sitting here today and you've never made a decision, you've never made a commitment to Jesus, you actually don't even really know what that means or what I'm even talking about. And I just wanna put you at ease that you're in the right place and I'm gonna explain it to you. In John 3:16, we read that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so when Jesus, Jesus is fully man, fully God, he came to earth to connect with us. He's the all connector. He's the best at connecting. And he showed us how much he loved us by coming here, by showing us how to care for people like Zacchaeus and, and how, to, how to be a connector. But then he also went a step further and he took on something that we tend to take on, which is our baggage and he took it on instead and he hung on a cross to die and he took on the punishment of our sin. And so when you decide to live your life for Jesus, what you're saying is, hey Jesus, I acknowledge that you love me and you are the son of God and instead of me remaining in the driver's seat, I'm gonna move over and I'm gonna trust in you with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding, but acknowledge you in all my ways and you're gonna make my path straight. So by you saying, Jesus, I want you in my life, you're stepping over into the passenger seat and you're letting him drive. So with every eye closed and head bowed, if that is you today and you wanna decide to give your life to Jesus, to follow Jesus, the best person that is connecting with others. He is the best at loving and showing us how to love others. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer today. Okay. 
All right, we're going to say this together as a church. Just say, dear Jesus. We're going to say it again. All right, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender it all. And I choose today to live my life for you. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I am choosing to take the passenger seat today. I thank you, Jesus, for my new life. The old is gone. The new has come. I love you, Jesus. To your name I pray. Amen. And you can keep your, your heads bowed and eyes closed. And I just want to pray over another group of people. If you are here today and you're saying, I want to make a commitment, a recommitment, if you've already done this before, to connect with people. I want to make sure that I am connecting with others so that I can make a difference. I need to slow down and focus on what's important, which is people and Jesus. If that's you today, could you raise your hand so I can pray over you? If you're saying today, I'm committed to Jesus and people, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, Jesus, you see the hands. Lord, I pray that you would fill each person here, God, with grace. I pray that any condemnation that may have come upon them, Lord, I pray that you would break it off in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would fill them with strength. And God, as they go out into the world, I pray that their light would shine and that they, you would give them an amount, a dose of slowing down so that they can connect with other people and connect with you, Jesus. So I love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for each person that's here in our time together. It's in your name I pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, thank you, True Life. It was wonderful to spend time with you.